Miss Mackintosh, my darling, Chapter 26. So scrupulous and conservative a mind as Mr. Spitzer's could not quickly unwind the factual truth of any immediate situation as of the present delicate and fleeting moment, as of unilateral time, most particularly as, in his profession, which had been thrust upon him more by dour necessity than by early choice, as he would say, he having been always somewhat reluctant to enter the law and having done so only because of his father's wishes, his department, department was that of the dead. His special areas were those of the hidden past, the wills and deeds departments, the dusty archives and pigeonholes and secret drawers, and of necessity he was always entering old houses, those of the dead, always searching through old secretaries in dim, ghost-haunted rooms where he had felt that at any minute the living might appear. He naturally dealt or had dealt with many eccentric persons, with both living and dead, with strange recluses, those who were rich and imagined they were poor, those who were poor and imagined they were rich, and dwelled in many castles of illusions. Those who had made a sport of writing many wills to baffle even the most conscientious attorney, especially now in his later years. There had been so many baffling situations he had come to doubt, yet with great hesitation, that there should be any heirs, whatever, or any property, whatever, handed down in golden perpetuity to the generations of the dead who thus controlled the living. There had been so many lost heirs, so many lost heiresses, secret sons, secret daughters, wandering derelicts, who could not be located or were shipwrecked on another coast. There had been heirs who had been heiresses, heiresses who had been heirs. He doubted we should even have inherited our features, our hair, our eyes, our ears, our hands, our feet. For these properties, too, had been very confused in metamorphic storms and were very, very makeshift, very uncertain. The properties, just as my mother had always imagined, of a dream, a dream which faded while we looked. His professional problems were easier when they were simple, certainly, and not so involved as his personal problems. Such had been in his youth the case of an elderly Boston lady who, having imagined all her life that she was the reincarnation of Cleopatra, though there was no Mark Anthony and no mysterious lover in her past, though she had lived next door to a rival Spencer who had been a rival beauty in her youth, and who was also the reincarnation of the dead Egyptian queen, wearing purple plumes, and whose lawyer, Mr. Spitzer, had also been, and having had, in order to taunt her neighbor who had a sphinx in her garden, a sphinx built in her adjoining garden grown over with spotted tiger lilies, a rival sphinx, a greater pyramid than her neighbor could afford, had died without mortal heirs or issue, leaving her house and garden to her innumerable Siamese cats, with the provision that the ancient caretaker should live in her house and enjoy an annual income as long as the cats lived. Also, Mr. Spitzer was to supervise this arrangement, the old lady having left quite a generous sum in government bonds bearing a low interest, Egyptian securities, and New England shipping. Many another lawyer might have been unscrupulous, but Mr. Spitzer had been very cautious, very conservative in administering this estate, which had by no means diminished. Such marvelous cats, too each having nine lives, he would sighingly remark, when he thought of these cats the magic of their lives, how not one had apparently ever suffered death. Nothing could have startled him so much as the dead cat in the garden. He had often seen these cats sunning upon the great stone pyramid, these sleek silken animals prowling through the windy garden where no birds sang. Of course he had not visited the place now for a number of years, but he remembered that there had certainly been a little cat store that led into the great sun-streaked house where the cats had prowled about, worrying and purring and eating from golden dishes fit for the dead pharaohs. The cats had always been insolent, even when the old lady was alive, and after the old lady's death they had seemed to know they owned the place. 
or so Mr. Spitzer had thought when returning from the funeral parlor where he had identified the corpse and left a bouquet of flowers. He had hesitantly called to leave his engraved calling card to pay, in fact, his respects to the new owners. <clears throat> there had been cats sitting upon satin pillows in the drawing room, cats walking about like flower-faced sibyls, cats purring at Mr. Spitzer's feet, cats on pedestals, cats swinging in hammocks. There had been a great white cat standing at the top of the marble stairway, less fearful than the raven might have been, certainly, yet giving Mr. Spitzer quite a start. There had been cats' eyes gleaming like gooseberries in the shadows, enigmatic fa fa faces of delicacy and disdain. A cat had walked up and down on the piano keys, playing a little tune from works of one of the most obscure 18th-century musical composers. The old caretaker had long since passed away, having been, even when Mr. Spitzer first knew him, like an old mummified pharaoh wrapped in his body, which was his boat. And there was a new caretaker. Mr. Spitzer had said nothing, for the cats were flourishing. There were as many cats as cattails by a marsh stream, butterflies gleaming among the shadows. Of course, Mr. Spitzer, when he remembered such visits, was probably only teasing my mother, who had accused him of never amusing her. And it was true that he himself was never amused by life. He being this old family lawyer with a somber, weedy look, the attitude of perpetual grief, which could not, which could not seem to settle upon any one point of view. He recognized, of course, that my mother must often pointed out to him no practical value in his own situation of eternal paradox. The fact that, for example, though he disparaged the fickle operations of the law, he was a lawyer with a rigid, conscientious mind, the guardian of my mother's property. Was he not over-scrupulous guarding my mother's life when she was already dead? <clears throat> and was it not he who hired the servants and paid these astronomical bills, often out of waning resources or an imaginary wealth? He had also his brother's debts to pay long after he surely seemed to have paid them. His brother would never have assumed responsibility as Mr. Spitzer had assumed it, he was quite certain, would never have paid Joaquin's debts as he paid Perone's now with every new day of his life, it seemed to him. For himself he had occurred no real indebtedness now of any kind for years. Yet his brother, disturbing, distrusting the law, had had no use for any lawyer unless he was a crooked lawyer, one who could be fixed one who would fix the witness and the judge. How often, not succeeding, his brother had tried to fix him, and Mr. Spitzer remembered that now his dead brother was this floater forever upon the waves of death that his instability had increased. Perone had had so much to live for, yet though he was shallow, and Mr. Spitzer had not only his illegaic music, that which still remained to console him, the music he had written only for himself or for no mortal ear. Mr. Spitzer, cupping his fat hands, drumming his fingers together with plaintive sadness, remembered that hour, that hour of terrible shock he continually relived, that in which he had been called suddenly away from his elegaic music to the morgue of a great city, there to identify, among homeless men and fallen women and faceless creatures and bloated corpses of the dead, his identical brother. Ever since then, his life had not been entirely his own, but perhaps, to be exact, to be truthful, it never had been, he would always say, slightly yawning when he thought of the lost years, the words which were never to be spoken. His swollen head nodding from side to side with those usual indecisions which he could not really resolve, he, would only, he could only apologize for the fact that he had continued in his usual paths, that he represented the erroneous and arbitrary system of the law which should one day be, he hoped, of the completed past, for there would be no, ne no need of any judge or lawyer, just as there would be no need of any musician or sailor or lighthouse keeper. The future should be, he tremulously believed, the silent music, 
which requires neither instruments nor voices, the heavenly harmonies forever fixed above the floods of time, dark time, those unmoving golden spheres set above and beyond these present fluctuations, the tides of discord moving not again to disturb our peaceful and our dreamless sleep. Perfect life should be perfect death. One should not die while one should live. One should not live while one should die. He could believe in probably no hell more than this present individual life already afforded to the living. He was not sure that heaven should be so much a place as a state of mind, when we should have completely forgotten who we were, when we should have put off this mortal clay, and should have been united in heavenly mansions as equal brothers, one and the same. Peace should lie at the end of this mortal course. There should be no rival, rivalry between person and person, none between the divisions of self. There should be no immortal derangement of, as of this present world with all its stains and cracks and flaws and irremediable ills. There should be a complete oblivion, and not what my mother apparently wished for, a complete memory. She continually narcotizing, however, by the opium doses, by the needle points, her memory even of the most commonplace things. She allayed her sensibilities and sinking into a deeper and deeper visionary sleep, so that she should not see him, his old family lawyer with his brother's face, so that he should be displaced by many images, by sleeping car porters with golden roosters on their heads and headless horsemen, and all those other invisible beings only she could imagine. It was never certain that even she could imagine them. No one knew her thoughts. All souls should be equal when all were dead, as Mr. Spitzer would say, and all horses should come in first. If he might be permitted to employ in my oblivious mother's presence, his dead brother's language, for which he must elaborately apologize, his brother having been a most competitive soul and never satisfied, one who had lived in no sphere whatever, but that incomplete sphere of competition, failure, or victory, or both, and his brother, having often tried by various means to displace the visible realities, to confuse the spectator for the sake of some immediate but perhaps altogether hallucinatory goal. The immediate moment only had been his brother's, he having lived through the fact that life was always fleeting, that human memory was short, that impressions were not lasting and were inaccurate. And he had lost his life, or he had gained his life through death. Mr. Spitzer did not really know, for Mr. Spitzer always and increasingly remembered him. Living his brother's life and dying his brother's death, it seemed to him, and so he looked back upon himself as one who was dead. Mr. Spitzer, though he must admit that he had been outwardly identical to his brother, many people having been mistaken because of these great similarities, many people still confusing these brothers in their minds, yet had always had a different internal character and constellation of values, an almost cosmic serenity which had enveloped him even in moments of his greatest and most personal, most bitter disappointments, as when his brother died. If it had been, and if it had been his brother who had lived, and he who had died, as was so nearly possible, what memory of him would his brother have cherished at the cost of his own impatient, instinctive life? Would his brother have felt for Mr. Spitzer's anguish sake, this great vein throbbing in his forehead, this quivering of his pulse, these flutterings of his eyelids, these trembling throat cords, and would he have spoken with this voice which now my mother heard? Would he have adopted this attitude of punctuality? Would he have endured my mother's pleasure in ignoring him? If he had lived, would his impatient brother have spent so many empty evenings and hours here in this dead, turreted house by the cold, dark sea, which moved and breathed and sobbed, almost as if it were trying to compete with him, to drown his grief, or have attempted to finish, as Mr. Spitzer would always ask, Mr. Spitzer's unfinished music, 
even to add a hesitant note, or ever have brought to a sick lady a bouquet of winter violets plucked from a secret place, even in the midst of the whirling snows, the furious blast. His brother, certainly it was all too clear to this living man, would not have been so faithful to my mother for the sake of his dead brother's continuing love and a memory of Mr. Spitzer, whom she had always ignored. He whom Mr. Spitzer now remembered with almost a tear for himself, the poor, unappreciated musician who had turned so silently away when she had refused for the last fickle and unconstant time the dimpled hand which he had proffered to her, the passive hand, his offer of the ideal and incorruptible marriage, that immortal happiness which had been too great, as he realized now, for realization in this mortal life, within these narrow limitations. For of the flesh it never could have been. Perhaps as this way had been, it had been best, both from his point of view and my mother's. Mr. Spitzer must concede, grudgingly, after so many years. Yet he could not help thinking that his brother would not have honored Mr. Spitzer's immortal love if, as so easily might have been the case, Mr. Spitzer had been the dead and the buried and turning to dust and ashes, as now perhaps his brother was, though precariously living through this approximate memory of him. Mr. Spitzer was sure, his face lovingly smiling as if to conceal his grief, that his brother's love of life would have been too great, too impetuous for this prolonged moment of farewell, or for the serenity which had been quite meaningless to him 